Welcome to the Susquehanna Valley Baptist Pulpit, preaching a life worth living, abundant life in Christ. And now the message. All right, you found 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. The scripture says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor the princes of this world that come to naught. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. I want to preach a message I've entitled, If I'd Only Known. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus, and I beg you again this morning for the filling of the Holy Ghost of God, that as I preach, your word would go deep into hearts. If there's any here without Christ, may they clearly see their need for the Son of God to turn to Christ today and have the free gift of eternal life. I pray for believers. God, challenge our hearts. Convict, correct, change us, make us the people you'd have us to be for your glory. And Lord, we'll thank you for all that you do, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. A while back, I was reading in my Bible again in 1 Corinthians, and I got to this part of chapter 2. And you know, every time when you read your Bible, there are times when you'll read a statement and you'll just, even though you've read it many times before, it just kind of jumps out at you. And I read that first part of verse 8 where it says, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Well, after looking at that and meditating on it for a moment, I thought, well, had they known what? To find the answer to that question, you go back to verse 7. It says, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. He's saying here, had they known the wisdom of God, they would not have crucified the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, these people had the wisdom of man, but they were totally ignorant of the wisdom of God. I mean, after all, the wisdom of God saw he was born in a stable. Or the wisdom of man saw that he was born in a stable, but could not see that he was the king of the palaces of heaven. The wisdom of man saw that he was so poor that he had no place to lay his head, but couldn't see that he owned the cattle on a thousand hills. The wisdom of man saw that he had no armies on earth to follow him, but couldn't see that he had twelve legions of angels at his beck and call. The wisdom of man saw him take the robe of a servant and wash the feet of the disciples and couldn't see that his slightest wish was the greatest command of the angels. What a difference between the wisdom of man and the wisdom of God. And the Bible says, had they known the wisdom of God, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. You see, the wisdom of man sees only the shame and disgrace of the cross. But the wisdom of God sees beyond that to the glorified Lord sitting at the right hand of the Father. 
The wisdom of man, our wisdom of God sees beyond the cross to the pearly white city and the spotless bride on display. The difference between the wisdom of man and the wisdom of God. The wisdom of man sees him nailed to a cross, defeated. But the wisdom of God sees him dying for you and I to have life. The wisdom of man sees his blood flowing to end his life. But the wisdom of God sees his blood flowing to give us life. The wisdom of man sees his body slumped in death. But the wisdom of God sees our sin debt fully paid. The wisdom of man sees him buried. But the wisdom of God sees him rising from the dead three days later. The difference between the wisdom of man and the wisdom of God. You see, the Jews wanted the Christ to come and to free them from bondage from Rome. And they didn't realize at first they needed to be freed from the bondage of sin. The reality is, had there been no cross, there could be no grace. Had there been no shame, there could be no glory. Had there been no agony, there could be no joy. Had there been no death, there could be no life. Had there been no wounds, there could be no healings. Had there been no jeerings, there could be no hallelujahs. Had they only known. But then that sparked another question. Why didn't they know? Should they have known? I mean, they had the word of God back then. After all, even the Gentile wise men knew of his birth. Since Daniel had been one of their numbers a few centuries before that, they would have had the book of Daniel. They would have had the books of Moses. So they knew about the star from the book of Numbers, that it would be his star. And when they saw it, they started out on their journey to see the one that is born the king of the Jews. They knew the timing that would be right because they had the book of Daniel and chapter 9. So here we've got Gentiles coming from afar over to Jerusalem, first of all, to see King Herod, and then to Bethlehem. They knew that because they had the word of God. They knew it. Why on earth didn't they know it then in Jerusalem? They should have. You remember Anna and Simeon knew it. When Mary brought the baby Jesus to the temple, they both proclaimed that this is the one they'd been waiting for, that the Messiah, the Christ, is here. They had the word of God. And after all, John the Baptist had pointed him out to him later on at the beginning of his public ministry when he cried and said, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. So you understand, they're without excuse. When you ask the question, why didn't they know? It's because they refused to know. But you understand that even his own disciples had problems with this. Because, for instance, in Matthew chapter 24, after his crucifixion, you've got Jesus coming up on resurrection day to two of his disciples on the road to Emmaus, and they're downcast. Even though they had heard that the tomb was empty and that he had risen, they didn't believe it yet. They were troubled about it. When he asked them about it, and they said, beside all this, he said, we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And beside all this, today is the third day since these things were passed. And Jesus said to them, beginning in verse 25 of Luke chapter 24, O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, ought not Christ to have suffered these things and entered into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Yes, they did not know because they refused to know. 
They did not know because they rejected the wisdom of God and the word of God and had said yes to the wisdom of men. But now I got to thinking about that even more. Before we condemn these people too harshly, today we've got the full revelation of God right here. And still people say yes to the wisdom of man over the wisdom of God and will end up crying out, oh, if I'd only known, but it'll be too late. And as I thought about this, I thought it specifically about three groups of people who cry out, if I'd only known. Obviously, one of those groups of people would be people in hell that would cry out, if I'd only known. Some would cry out like this, if I'd only known that hell would be like this, I would have gotten saved. Now, you've heard people say, well, I believe hell is right here on this earth. If that's not one of the most ignorant statements. I mean, after all, even if hell was, if hell was on this earth too, then why die and go to another one? He offers heaven. He offers an escape from hell. But you understand the wisdom of God, the word of God has made it plain. Do you know that in the Bible there is no one that spoke as much of hell or as graphically about hell as did Jesus Christ? It's Jesus who told the story of the rich man and Lazarus in Luke chapter 16. It says in the, ba- and, uh, it says in the rich man died and was buried and in hell... He lift up his eyes, being in torment, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy upon me, and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. I know I've had people come to me and say, but preacher, don't you realize that that's a parable? And I say, no, show me. Show me where Jesus called that a parable. On top of that, show me one time in any parable that Jesus said was a parable where he used the proper name of one of the individuals in the parable. No, it's not a parable. This is a true story, and Jesus is the one that told it. By the way, even if it was a parable, parables were given to teach specific Bible truths. And the Bible truth is here, you die without Christ, you burn in a hell forever that you can't get out of and no one can get to you. I'm just simply saying, the Lord Jesus Christ made it plain about hell. So people in hell who would cry out, oh, if I'd only known it men like this, I'd have gotten saved. I'm sorry, they chose the wisdom of man over the wisdom of God and that's why they're there. Jesus said in Matthew 25, 41, Then shall he say unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Jesus taught in Revelation 20, 14, and 15, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever is not found written in the book of life, cast into the lake of fire. I had one man say to me one time, You can't show me anywhere where people are burned forever. And I said, what about Revelation 14, 11, where the scripture says, and the smoke of their torment ascendeth forever and ever, and they have no rest day nor night. Some of you are old enough to remember evil Knievel. And some of you may remember when he was going to jump the Snake River Canyon with his jet-powered motorcycle. Boy, it was a big media thing all over the country. You couldn't hardly go anywhere without seeing some story about it. All the reporters were there, and one of the interviews that he gave, the reporter asked him the question, 
What if it doesn't work? What if you don't make it? He said, well, then I guess I'll just be in hell drinking a beer waiting for my buddies. He was right about one part of it. He'd been in hell, but he wouldn't be drinking a beer, water, or anything else. And he wouldn't be waiting for his buddies. He'd be screaming that someone would go and warn his buddies lest they also come to that place of torment. No, they cry out, if I'd only known it'd be like this. It's because they rejected the wisdom of God and said yes to the wisdom of man. I believe there's some in hell that cry out, if I'd only known that salvation was just in trusting Jesus, then I would have trusted Christ as Savior. But you see, the Bible's very plain about this. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace are you saved through faith. And thou not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. John three thirty six. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him." The Bible says that Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth in Romans chapter 10 and verse 4. You see, the Bible's very plain that salvation is by grace through faith. It is a gift. Now listen to me, if you work for something, you've earned it. If you pay for something, you've bought it. But a gift is paid for by somebody else. And it's just simply received by the one it's offered to. Jesus did all the work. Jesus went to the cross. Jesus, in the shedding of his blood, paid for your sin debt so that you can have eternal life. And he offers it to you. But as the scripture says in 1 John chapter 5, this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. The wisdom of man says do to get to heaven. But the wisdom of God says it's done. He's paid it all. The price has been paid. I imagine some people in hell cry out, well, if I'd only known that I didn't have another day, I would have gotten saved. But there again, they have rejected the wisdom of God. For God warns us. He says, boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. Proverbs 27, 1. In Proverbs 29, 1, he says, He that being often reproved, hardeneth his neck, shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 2, the Bible says, Behold, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. Hebrews 9, 27, As it is appointed unto man once to die. After this, judgment. How many cry in hell? Oh, if I'd only known. I was planning on going to church next week and trusting too late. Once you're in hell, that's it. Multitudes in hell no doubt cry out, if I'd only known. That's one group of people. But I believe there are multitudes of Christians who contemplate sin in their life and do not realize its terrible effect. I want you to listen to the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God says, be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. He that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. He that soweth to the spirit shall of the spirit reap life 
everlasting. So the wisdom of God says, listen, you're going to reap what you sow. Child of God, he paid for your sins, yes. He's forgiven your sins, yes. He's going to take you to heaven, but you are going to reap what you sow. Nobody gets away with it. Nobody. David didn't get away with it. David, at a time when kings went forth to battle, didn't go to battle. He stayed in his palace. He saw Bathsheba bathing on a rooftop. Don't find fault with her. They had battlements on those rooftops. The only person that possibly could have seen her would have been David. And David was supposed to be out with the army that her husband was a member of. As a matter of fact, one of David's mighty men. David should have been there. She should have been saved. And every time I read that story and David calls his servants in, I think I'd like to hear him say, get my chariot. I need to get out of here. I need to get to the battle. But he doesn't do it. Brings her in, commits immorality. Who knows? Well, those servants know, but that's not the worst of it. The worst of it is God knows. And as time passes, by the way, you remember he has her husband murdered. Because he wouldn't fall in with David's plan as to the wickedness. Do you say, did David reap what he sowed? Yes. Let me tell you the price of that one night with Bathsheba. The enemies of God blasphemed David's God. That was David's fault. The enemies of God blasphemed David's God. The baby had to die. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. But that's not the end of it. You later find his son Amnon raping Amnon's half-sister, who was the daughter of David, raping her. You see, what you sow, that's what you reap. And David's reaping it in his home. But then you find Absalom, Tamar's full brother, murdering Amnon. And the reaping goes on. And then you have an open rebellion by Absalom to run David off the throne. And then, of course, the death of Absalom, it seemed to be probably his favorite son, who openly shamed David before the entire country with David's wives, and then the death of Absalom that took place. And I can hear his cry, oh, if I'd only known, because here's David. David, as he gets the news that his son Absalom has been killed, we find him sitting in the gate with his head in his hands, and he's crying, oh, Absalom! Oh, Absalom, my son, my son, would to God I died for thee. And every time I read that, I think, David, you didn't have to die for that boy. All you had to do was keep Bathsheba out of your bedroom, and that boy would still be alive. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Nobody gets away with it. Oh, today we've got things David didn't have. We've got the Internet. And boy, people get up 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock in the morning, get in on the internet, go to pornography, and they think it's not going to hurt them. Nobody knows, nobody sees. God sees, God knows, and God puts it in motion. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Oh, the Christian homes that have been broken up because of pornography in the lives of believers. And not just the men. By the way, women also today. We know that deacons' homes have been broken up. Hey, ministries of pastors have been totally destroyed because they thought somehow it's in their house. It doesn't matter. No matter where you sow wrong, you're going to reap wrong. You can count on it. 
Several years ago, there was a preacher by the name of R.G. Lee. I'm glad I got to hear him preach before he died. I heard him preach his most famous message, Payday Someday. Uh, I think it was the 1,000th and 12th time. He did not have a note before him. R.G. Lee, a very distinguished southern gentleman. He pastored the Bellevue Baptist Church in Memphis, Tennessee. He was white-headed, balding, stood there very... I mean, he was the epitome of a southern gentleman. And he would paint pictures with words. I got to interview him for the local Christian radio station in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And said what he did was he would preach a message by scenes and all he did was describe the scenes. And for years, in the early days of his ministry, he would spend time every day just going through the dictionary, writing down words he didn't know and didn't know the meaning of, and he would memorize the meaning and learn how to use them in sentences and put them down. And I've got news for you. This man could paint pictures with words. A friend of mine had Dr. R.G. Lee in one time, and Dr. Lee was up there preaching his message And suddenly, in the middle of his message, he said, I hate liquor. I hate liquor. He said, that's alcohol, by the way. Just in case there's somebody who doesn't understand Southern. Liquor. I hate liquor. And then he said, If I thought I had one hair on my head that wanted to drink a liquor, I'd pluck it out and I'd stomp it. I hate liquor. And then he went on and finished his message. Well, my friend went up to him when the message was over and said, Dr. Lee, what on earth got you going on liquor? He said, I was looking down about the third row on the right side. I saw a man licking his lips like he might want to drink a liquor and I wanted him to know whose side I was on. Well, R.G. Lee had a distinguished man in his church that didn't feel that way about liquor like he did. And he would argue with Dr. Lee about it. He said, listen, I don't see what's wrong with just a drink once in a while. He said, we keep a bottle of, we keep a bottle, uh, of alcohol up in the cupboard and we bring it down for special occasions like an anniversary or something like that. That's the only time we do, but I don't see anything wrong with it. He said, no, it's sin. It's wicked. You shouldn't have anything to do with it. Well, the man said, Dr. Lee, you and I are just going to have to disagree on that. Well, time came to pass that they had a little daughter and she grew and was graduating from high school one night. Man, they were all excited. This little girl's got the rest of her life ahead of her, it seemed, and everything was wonderful. Well, she came up to her daddy, and she said, Daddy, you know, I'm going to be going off to, they had a college planned, and my friends are going off to other places. She, she said, we want to have, you know, one, one night where we can just enjoy ourselves, and would it be all right if we went out together, and I'll drive, and, and uh, we'll be in at a decent hour. And he said, no, honey, that's all right. You go ahead with your friends. Just try to be back in by midnight, and, uh, and that'll be just fine. So he and his wife went home, and they went to bed. About 2 o'clock in the morning, there was a knock on the door. They went to the door, and when they opened it up, they saw a Tennessee state trooper. And they said, yes, can we help you? And he said, well, are you 
Mr. So-and-so? And they said, yes, that's us. Do you have a daughter named? And he named her name. And they said, yes, we do. He said, I hate to tell you this, but she and two of her friends were in a car tonight, and they had a terrible wreck, and they're all dead. And on top of that, they had been drinking. Well, obviously, their world had absolutely been torn apart by that news. And he and his wife stood there holding one another and weeping and crying for a while. And while they were doing that, the man began to think, how in the world did they get alcohol? How, who would have given my daughter liquor? Who would have done that? And then he got so angry, he said, man, if I could get a hold of whoever gave them that liquor, he said, I'd kill him. Well, obviously, the state trooper stayed around for a while for him to calm down. And finally, when he got calmed down, the state trooper left. And the man and his wife were getting ready to go up to the bedroom, and he said, honey, you, you go on, you go on. I've, I've, I've got to settle myself down. And he went into the kitchen, and he opened up the cupboard, and he reached up in the cupboard to pull down that bottle of alcohol to take a drink. But instead of bringing down a bottle, he brought down a note that said, Dear Dad, this is our last night together, and uh, I know you will understand. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. How many Christians have got events in their life, like David, like this story, have got events that are coming? Oh, I think of the parents. Pastor gets up and has to preach a specifically a really direct and hard message dealing with sin and sin in the lives of believers. I mean, after all, let's face it, folks, I can sit here and preach all day about what's going on out there, but that doesn't do you a bit of good. You need to hear what's going on in right in here. You need to hear what's wrong about what you're doing. That's why, that's why God gives us preachers. That's why he says, when he tells us to preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. Now, wait a minute. He says, reprove, rebuke, and exhort. That's the preacher's job. That's New Testament preaching with all long-suffering and doctrine. In other words, you do that according to the Word of God. Why? I'm trying to spare my people from a lifetime of heartache because they are going to reap what they sow. Then some parents go home on Sunday afternoon and trying to justify their lifestyle that's contrary to God's Word. And right in front of their own children, they'll say something like this. Well, you've got to understand, pastor's not God. Well, who said he was? I'll guarantee you, he didn't say he was. Why would you say that? And then, those parents come to you when they're 16 and 17, and they say, please pray for my boy. Please pray for my girl. She's running with the wrong people. They won't listen to me. Preacher, can you talk to them? Yeah, we can talk to her. We're blue in the face, but you've already made it so they'll never hear us now. The hypocrisy. If I'd only known Christians who contemplate sin and did not realize its terrible effects, I'll guarantee Adam and Eve never gave a thought to just eating something from that tree. They didn't cut it down. They didn't harvest the fruit and sell it. They didn't commit immorality. 
God said, don't, they did, that was enough, they died, and now all of us have to face that penalty of death. That's why you know one day the funeral home's coming, unless Jesus comes back first. I said there were three groups of people. Let me give you the last. I believe many will say it in heaven at the judgment seat of Christ. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 10, for we must all appear at the judgment seat of Christ to give an account for the things done in this body, whether they be good or bad. Then Paul says, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. The judgment seat of Christ is not going to be a happy time. Now, thank God all those at the judgment seat of Christ don't have to worry about hell. They're going to heaven. But the Bible puts it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 13. Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive reward. If any man's work be burned, he shall suffer loss, though he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. You see, the wisdom of man says, take care of yourself. The wisdom of God says, deny yourself. The wisdom of man says, well, I've got to feed my family first. Wisdom of God says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. The wisdom of man says, don't be a fanatic. The wisdom of God says, I'd rather that you were hot or cold, and because you're neither hot nor cold, I will spew you out of my mouth. The wisdom of man says, don't turn people off by witnessing to them. But the wisdom of God says, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Do you realize you can't witness to the wrong person? Well, you say, but preacher, I'm afraid I'll run somebody off. Where are you going to run them to? Hell two, hell three, hell four? They're already going to hell. Someone's got to care enough to talk to them. Wisdom of man says, what's missing one service? Wisdom of God says in 1 Corinthians 4, 2, is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. The wisdom of God says, but you've got to have some fun. Or the wisdom of man says, you've got to have some fun. The wisdom of God says, uh, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Why will people say it in heaven? How about when Jesus tell, tells them of the people they could have won to Christ, if they'd have just given somebody a track or talked to them about their soul. When they hear of people who died lost, who drove by their home on the night of the midweek service and saw their car, they're knowing that they were Christians. Why aren't they in church? What's wrong with that? Well, preacher, what's one service? It's one service. And I believe in being faithful to the house of God. How about when they see people that would have gotten saved had that missionary just could have gotten to the field early enough, but the people were too stingy buying their 70-inch TV. I'll tell you what, not give to missions. It's amazing what we do today. The wisdom of man and the wisdom of God. I think we see it summarized pretty good for us in the lives of two people. I want you to turn to one of them. Go over to Ecclesiastes as we get close to the end. Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Now I'm going to talk to you about two older men. 
As a matter of fact, the only thing, well, there are two things that these two men have in common. They both know God, and they're both about to die. And in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, you've got Solomon. He's going to tell you about all the things that he did and why he did them, how he spent his life. Notice beginning in verse 3, he says, I sought in my heart to give myself unto wine, yet acquainting my heart with wisdom, to lay hold on folly, to see uh, that till I might see what was that good for the sons of men, which they should do under the heaven all the days of their life. I made me great works. I builded me houses. I planted me vineyards. I made me gardens and orchards. And I planted trees in them of all kind of fruits. I made me pools of water to water therewith the wood that bringeth forth trees. I got me servants and maidens and had servants born in my house. Also I had great possessions of great and small cattle above all that were in Jerusalem before me. It seems like he's got this philosophy that when you die, it's the person with the most toys that wins. There are a lot of people in America have that philosophy about life. They keep accumulating and accumulating. He says, I gathered me also silver and gold and peculiar treasure. Notice verse 9. So I was great and increased more than all that were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me and whatsoever mine eyes desired, I kept not from them. I withheld not my heart from any joy. For my heart rejoiced in all my labor And this was my portion of all my labor. That's one old man. Now we're coming back to him. Please don't read ahead. Go over to 1 Corinthians chapter, or 2 Corinthians chapter 11. We have another old man who's getting near the end of his life. And you'll notice in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 23, he tells us how he spent his life. This is the Apostle Paul. He says in verse 23, Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors, more abundant. In stripes, above measure. In prisons, more frequent. In deaths, oft. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods. Once was I stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I've been in the deep. In journeyings, often. In perils of waters. In perils of robbers. In perils by mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness and watchings often, in hunger and thirst and fastings often, in cold and nakedness beside those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. Well, here's a man sitting on a throne. He looks around at all that he has made, and this is how he has spent his life. You go back to Ecclesiastes chapter 2, and you look at verse 11. He realizes he's getting ready to meet God. And so here's what he says. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought, and on the labor that I had labored to do, and behold... All was vanity and vexation of spirit, and there is no profit under the sun. Here's Solomon, this old man, who knew God, 
who got off to a great start, but then decided he was going to do everything that he wanted to do. Whatever his heart desired, he got it. All the latest gadgets, all the latest toys, all the works for his glory. And he's basically saying, I have wasted my life. It counts for nothing. What about that other old man? Yeah, he's the Apostle Paul. You get to 2 Timothy chapter 4, and he's not on a throne. He's sitting on a bench in prison. His death is about to happen. And he looks back at what he had done, and he says, I finished the course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me in that day. And not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. You know our trouble today? We want to live like Solomon and die like Paul, and it doesn't work that way. And at the judgment seat of Christ, there's going to be a lot of Christians saying, Oh, if I'd only known, if I'd only known, I would have done so much more for Christ. I give you this illustration and I close. When I pastored in Tennessee Ridge, Tennessee, I was there three and a half years, number of sweet, sweet, dear country people. I was in Houston County, a county that only had a population of about 2,500 in the entire county. We had a man by the name of Gerald, I won't give his last name, but we had a man by the name of Gerald, a good guy, just, just a good guy. He was a carpenter, he did a lot of work on houses and in houses, and a good guy. But now Gerald was just one of those guys, you know, sometimes he might be there every service during the week. Sometimes he might only come to one. Sometimes he might miss them all. Then other times he'd be back and he'd be faithful for a couple weeks. And he was a good guy, but he just didn't get it and couldn't get it. He was saved. I don't have any doubt about that, going to heaven. Well, one day he was working at one of those houses and he had his table saw going and he made the mistake, ran his finger through that table saw. Thing is... When he was able to pull back, that finger was just kind of hanging there, just one piece of skin that was keeping it attached. Of course, he immediately grabbed it. And the people that were with him, they took him to Trinity Hospital there in Aaron, Tennessee, uh, where they gave him a couple of shots. They sewed this finger back on. His wife came down, picked him up in the hospital, took him home. Well, when she got to the house, he was getting out of the car and he started to have a reaction to the medication that the doctor had given him. He started swelling up, and his tongue swelled up so much, it filled his throat and his mouth. He couldn't breathe. His throat was clogged. His mouth was clogged. He was starting to turn blue. Well, she got him back in the car right away, and she drove the three-mile drive as quick as she, as she could down to Aaron, Tennessee, to the hospital at Trinity, and she got in there, and the doctor immediately saw what was going on and was able to give him a shot to counteract what was taking place with what he obviously was having trouble with. And the doctor told her, 
if you'd have been five minutes later, your husband would be a dead man. Well, I got a call, and immediately I went over to see him. And uh, we had prayer together. He looked up at me. He said, Preacher, he said, you know, he said, I always wondered what it was going to be like when I was about to die. He said, I wondered if my life would pass before my eyes. He said, I wondered if, I, if I'd think about my wife and my two daughters. He said, Pastor, I didn't think about any of that. He said, I couldn't breathe. I couldn't get a breath. I couldn't get any air down in there. I, I, that just seemed to be it. And all I could think of was what I had not done for Jesus. Well, he got an unusual chance to make it up so we wouldn't have to one day stand at the judgment, judgment seat and say, if I Thank you for listening. If you'd like to contact us, please write us at P.O. Box 126-541, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, 17112. And visit our website at www.svbcpa.org. Until next time.